I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood. God justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus' Bible became the Bible of the first Christians, all 39 scrolls. It was 300 years later at the Council of Nicaea that 27 new scrolls were added to the Holy Writ. The oldest of those, all written by Paul. Paul was martyred by Caesar Nero in the mid-60s along with Simon Peter. Already he had written everything he was going to write before any of the four Gospels. So the oldest material we have, the writings of Paul and all of his other writings, are addressing particular needs or concerns in places he had been with people he had known. But not the letter to the Romans. He had not yet been to Rome. He was writing to people he did not know. He was not aware of specific problems that needed to be addressed, so he wrote the faith as he understood it. Let's look at it. Number one, there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I know there's some really evil people in the world, but I haven't known many of them personally. The ones I've known just tend to wander off. They are the 100th sheep that just grazes a little farther and a little farther from the herd, and the sun's going down, and they're lost. Mitch Album was a very successful sports writer in Detroit when one night he was watching the old Nightline program on television and saw a former professor of his from Brandeis University being interviewed. This professor was dying of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Mitch loved this professor when he sat in his class and had promised on graduation day he would come and visit him often. But of course, he never had been back. He called his old professor the next day and asked if he could come to see him at Brandeis. He said, please. So he flew from Detroit over and they had a visit. On Mitch's day off, Tuesday, he had such a wonderful time visiting with this old professor that he asked, may I come next Tuesday? Sure. So he flew from Detroit the next Tuesday, and the next, and the next, and the next, until his old professor died, and he wrote a book called Tuesdays with Maury. That fall, he was back in New Jersey to go to high holy day services with his mother and father at the synagogue where he had grown up. And his old rabbi said to him, Mitch, congratulations on the best-selling new book. I've decided I want you to do my eulogy when I die. And Mitch said, are you ill? And he said, no, but I'm old and I will die. And Mitch said, but I don't really know you. 
I mean, I've known you, but I haven't really known you. Would you let me spend some time with you before I make a decision, give you an answer? Why, of course, he said, anytime you're in New Jersey, come to see me. And so Mitch said if business took him to New York City, he took the subway out to New Jersey to visit this old rabbi, and he learned a lot of things he had never known just sitting in the pew once a year with his mother and father. He said, I grew up in that synagogue. I was bar mitzvahed there. My parents sent me to Brandeis, where I was surrounded by lots of Jewish kids and professors, but I had just drifted away. I was making a lot of money. I was getting to interview sports celebrities and write my stories. I just drifted away. And as he visited again and again with his old rabbi, he finally asked him one day, what's the secret to happiness? And the rabbi said, are you listening? He said, I'm listening. And the rabbi said, even when life is hard, it's a gift. I lost a daughter when she was four. I grieved, I ranted and raved at God that my four-year-old had died. But even in ranting and raving, I was acknowledging there was one who's greater than I am. And gradually, I healed. I realized that even the four years we had with her were a gift. It's all a gift, Mitch. It's a gift. But if you receive it, you've got to be grateful, really grateful. You can tell them, I really believe I'll get to see that little girl again. I'm looking forward to it. So Mitch wrote a book after his rabbi died, and he had given the eulogy, and he called it Have a Little Faith. Have a Little Faith. It's all a gift. Number two. What is this business about I'm not ashamed? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, I got out the big fat unabridged dictionary that Gail had given me some years ago, and I looked it up. It says shame is something that we sometimes feel when we've done something bad, wrong, or failed to do something good that we might have done. But there's far more involved in this word for Paul. What Paul means from his long history of being Pharisee of Pharisees is that there are great injustices in the world that are not being addressed. And that's shameful. There were many in Paul's day who were calling Jesus a failed Messiah. A failed Messiah. He didn't get the job done they were saying, because he died. He didn't get all these wrongs addressed, redressed. He died, shamefully. A couple of years ago, Gail and I were doing the trains in France when they weren't disrupting because of union strikes. And one day, we took a train out of Lyon as far as we could go toward Claveau, 
We got off the train and took a taxi ride about 20 minutes. The taxi driver said, this is the place. There's no way for you to get back to the train except to walk or have me come pick you up. What time would you like for me to be back? I looked at my watch. I looked at Gail and I said, four hours? He said, great, I'll be here. Gail looked at me after she had looked at the Abbey and wondered, what are we going to do here for four hours? Because this Abbey, this monastery, is more than 900 years old. It isn't a monastery anymore. It's a museum. It was founded by a fellow named Bernard, who was born in 1090, who felt the claim of God on his life, and at 25 organized this monastery. In time, they were able to buy a little more land and a little more land. They ate well, it seemed. There were several hundred acres of farmland there. They had learned how to raise trout in the streams and ponds they had built off of a major stream. They had a big water wheel. They learned how to grow grapes and make wine. But long hours of the day and night, they also meditated. There was a big dormitory-like room where these monks slept on grass mats on a stone floor and meditated on the scriptures. And at Clairvaux, at least, they believed it was their Bernard who wrote, O sacred head, now wounded with grief and shame weighed down. 1857, coal miner and his wife had a baby in Ohio, but they didn't take little George to Sunday school and church, so he grew up without a faith. As a young adult living in Iowa, he came under the influence of the Salvation Army and professed his faith and became a part of the army. Then he felt led toward the Methodist church and eventually became a Methodist preacher. He was a pretty good one. He was invited to preach in a number of different places but he struggled with passages like this one. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And one night in the middle of a sermon, he said, I've been struggling with this. I've written a poem. I'd like to share it with you. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Shame. It was shameful what they did to him, crushing that crown of thorns down on his brow, hanging a robe on his shoulders, mocking him as king of the Jews, beating him mercilessly, and then forcing him to stumble through the streets of Jerusalem, carrying a heavy cross, and then nailing him to it and hoisting him against the sky. It was shameful. God's people... God's own son were being treated unjustly, and it was shameful. But Sunday morning, God said, that's enough. That is enough. And he rolled back the stone. And when the women got there, a messenger from the Almighty saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has been raised. So Paul said, 
If he be not raised, then my preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. But in fact, he has been raised. Death will never, ever have the last word again. Number three, Paul uses two important words in the next verse. One is redemption. The other is a Greek word, elasterion. This word elasterion is used in the Septuagint, the translation of the Hebrew scriptures into Greek done after the time of Alexander the Great. And this word is used because it means a lid or a cover, but a specific lid, a specific cover, the one on the beautiful wooden box that held the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And once a year, the high priest went in. After offering sacrifice for his own sins and those of his family and begged God to move from the seat of judgment to the seat of mercy. Paul said God did that in Christ Jesus. He judged the world and he offered mercy through his son. Dr. Tony Campolo is a person I've been reading because he's going to be our Canipa lecturer next January. He's a Siciliano, like Gale. His grandparents came from the island. He's lived in Pennsylvania all of his life in this country. Tony is an ordained minister in the American Baptist Church. He's also been a professor in Pennsylvania for many years. And he's a part of an organization that decided that Haiti, the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, needed more schools. And they are building school after school after school, trying to get these children better educated where they can have a better life. One night, he'd been visiting these schools, got back to Port-au-Prince after dark, was walking across the street to the Holiday Inn where he had a reservation, and suddenly three little teenage girls came out of the shadows, and one said to me, you can have me all night for $10. Yes, what about you? She said, 10 what about you? The same. He said, I'll take all three of you. I'm staying in room 208. Can you be there in an hour? They said, sure. He went into the Holiday Inn to the maitre d' and he said, I'm going to check out every DVD you've got made by Disney. I'll take a chance. Anything Disney's put their name on, I'll take it. And then he said, I went in the kitchen. I asked, do you make banana splits here. They said the best in Port-au-Prince. He said, I want four big ones. I want extra ice cream. I want extra toppings. I want extra whipped cream, extra nut. You understand? I want the four biggest ones you got. An hour and 15 minutes in room 208. These little teenage girls, he said, maybe 15, 16 years old. They all arrived. He said, come in, girls, come in. There was just one chair in this Holiday Inn and a bed. He said, you, you three can sit on the bed. I'll take the chair. He plugged in one DVD after another. They ate those banana splits. And he said they kept watching these DVDs, watching all these Disney movies and cartoons till about 1 o'clock, and they all just passed out on the bed. He said, I pulled the spread up over them. I curled up in the chair to try to go to sleep and thought, what have you accomplished? What have you accomplished? And a voice said to me, you redeemed them. There were slaves on the block, and you bid the price, and you set them free tonight to be little girls again. 
to watch a Disney movie, to have a banana split, and to sleep safely. Maybe tomorrow they'll go to school. Number four. Those who have faith in Jesus, he said, he justifies. Dr. Tony Campolo tells a story that after Peter and Paul were martyred, they were put in charge of the gate at the kingdom of heaven. And they set up elaborate systems to keep good records. First as to who was to get in and then who was in. And every morning at breakfast, there were more people than they had on the book. So the next day they would try harder and the next morning at breakfast, there were more people than they had on the books. So one day, Paul said to Peter, you keep things going here at the gate. I'm going to snoop around and see if I can figure out what's going on. And he came back at about an hour, and he said, it's Jesus. And Peter said, what? And Paul said, it's Jesus. He's boosting him over the wall. Amen.